everybody it's me jr man how are you welcome to your life's work podcast i am your official official your designated really short redhead how you doing uh we took a big break as we traveled as i took the family of five and traveled across the fruited plain over the last two three weeks i think it's been three weeks since you and i have had the pleasure Greetings to all of you on the East Coast, the Midwest, and the West Coast. How are you? And all of you in Portugal. <laughs> I heard from a few of you uh, in Portugal not too long ago. How you doing? You guys good? What's it like down there? I want to know. Write me. Maybe we can come down. We spent two weeks on the road um, uh, from San Diego. So my family of five, uh, my wife, Diane, and three kids, they're all adopted. I tell you that because it's an important part of the story. Like if you miss that, you don't want to miss that. So we loaded up the, we loaded up the, the suitcase. I gave everybody a suitcases this time around, little roller boards. You know, you you pack all your crap in. And um, hey, by the way, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, why we pay too much attention to Jesus. We pay too much attention to Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. I just want you to know that. But real quick, so I gave them all roller boards and a little small little you know suitcase and said, hey, pack for a week. We're going to be out for two. And, and then we're going. And they did all a great job. And they're all teenagers. All my kids are 13, 15, 18. They travel like pros. Here's my advice to parents. If you're going to travel, don't do two weeks of teenagers in one big, huge minivan type of thing. Don't do that. It's not, it's not the most emotionally settling, peaceful activity you can do. <laughs> now, we all did great. Everybody did great for, together. We went to Cleveland. We went to Buffalo. We went to Grand Rapids. We went to Chicago. Um, it, it, the big thing that comes out of the two weeks, because we went for a wedding in Buffalo and then we just turned it into this, like, Hey, let's visit all of the people that we love in the, in the East. And, uh, man, I can't tell you what it was like to be loved by so many people and to really receive their love. We were in Grand Rapids one night and they had a, um, we called it Patioville. For those of you who come to my house, it also is refers to a happy fun time. So it's like basically food and just hanging out and chatting. And there must have been 20, 25 people at the, our Patioville in Grand Rapids, uh, the old neighborhood where uh, we adopted those three children and where a lot of them know the story. And so those of you listening uh, from Grand Rapids, um, thank you all for letting us uh, hang with you. Jacob Heidi, you know who you are. Um, just all the Justin, Susan, uh, just such a wonderful time. And Cleveland, of course, I mean, oh my gosh, the amount of people there just uh, to receive their love, man, was a really big deal. So uh, Buffalo, <laughs> my Buffalo friends are absolutely effing insane. Um, and uh, Chicago, we got to see my stepsister, Deb, in the Chicago Cubs game that went down in history. So we're back. Well, I'm glad to have you. Uh, thank you for chiming in. Uh, I'm a spiritual director. You can find me at jrman.com. It gives you all the hits, runs, and errors about me. There are plenty of errors about me, <laughs> um, but I'm a spiritual director, and uh, I'm a mentor, and I'm a coach, and um, and if you need me, all the digits are up on jrman.com, or hit me at jrman.com. I also put my phone number everywhere. People are always like, why do you do that? And I'm like, because I want them to call. <laughs> so, uh, so that's fine with me. 
a couple quick updates were uh, so as you all know, I've been talking about this for like the last last month and a half uh, about our book uh, project that we got out called Year. Um, it is literally we're getting the link. So it's all new this you know this time around. Like when I wrote, I wrote a book in two thousand five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Published it in two thousand seven, called Starving Jesus. It's on Amazon. You can find it for like a dollar if you want it. It's called Starving Jesus. And uh, when we published, like we published with like an author, so there was like a, or a publisher with a publisher, so there was like a um, you know there was a process to it. Like you know you, you know you submit it, and then the, the the publisher grabs it, and then they do all their work up to it, then they send it to production, they get it out, and they've got a calendar and a timeline. So you don't have to do any of that bullshit anymore. You can you can do it all yourself, and you can do it all through Amazon, right? You can do it all through Amazon. So we're waiting for a link. Is all we're waiting for, and then you can get the book. So we're so damn close to having the link, but again, with printers and Amazon and the movement of commerce, um, as you can imagine, like <laughs> at this point, it's going to take us longer to print the book than it was to write the book. Um, but it's uh, it's called Year. It's three hundred sixty-five uh, contemplations. Uh, I know you will enjoy it. Uh, so it's coming. So please be looking for all the uh, updates on that. Um, I'm holding centering prayer nights once a month at the house here in Fallbrook, California. If you're in the Los Angeles or San Diego area, please come. Uh, DM me for that. It's in fact the next one, September sixteenth at the house. September 16th. It's a Sunday. It's at 7 p.m. It's all about centering prayer. If you don't know what it is, Google it real quick, centering prayer. Also, spiritual direction workshops. They The, the second one, spiritual direction uh, part two, uno dos, uh, happening September 19th in Carlsbad, California. If you can't attend in person, we will be providing a digital feed for those who sign up for the course. So you will be able to see us and hear us live. Um, in fact, we might tape it and and uh, and then and then let it hit the interwebs. Um, but that's September nineteenth, and that's uh, nine a.m. Pacific to three p.m. It's a half day workshop, uh, spiritual direction part two. Look it up on the website, please. Jrman.com. J r m a h o n. Okay. So we pay too much attention to Jesus. I've been criticized for saying this before uh, by the people that criticize. You know the people that criticize, right? There's like 10 of them, and they are in charge of all criticism, and they criticize you. That's their job. Like when you decide that you're going to go do something new, those are the people that line up and are like, well, I don't know, and maybe I shouldn't, and yeah, you should think about that. Anyways, the people that criticize criticize me for saying we pay too much attention to Jesus, but I think we pay too much attention to Jesus. What do you mean, JR? You're absolutely psycho. You're, you're, You're crazy. You take all of your, you anchor yourself in the wisdom of Jesus. What is your problem? It goes something like this. It goes, we don't pay enough attention to his humanity. We pay attention to the mojo that is him, divine, uh, God, you know, he rose people from the dead, he turned water into wine, he, you know, he, we, we do all these things and we put him so, like, atmospherically high in our conscious and our awareness that it really doesn't, it, 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 it like diffuses us because we don't get his humanity. And what we really need to do when I'm talking about paying too much attention to Jesus, what I'm really talking about is we pay too much attention to the outlying constructs of what we think he is, right? This dude that can, you know, walk through walls, read your mind, you know, blink and, you know, a car will appear. <laughs> we do too much of that. We do too much of that. That's what we pay too much attention to. 
Um, and obviously there's people that are going to argue, oh, we need all the Jesus we can get. Like I hear those people, right? Without Jesus, I'm nothing. Like there's all these things that we hear. But at the end of the day, man, I really want you to grab onto Jesus is humanity, the humanity of Christ. We really need to anchor ourselves there. That's the attention. That's where we really need to turn because most of us, I know there's a few of you out there that don't, uh, have a problem with our humanity or we struggle with pieces of our humanity. Again, I know, I, I, I preface by saying I know there's a few of you out there, particularly those of you in Florida. I know there's a few of you that are perfect. I got you. <laughs> but among the people that I work with, and including me at times, it, it's hard for me to, to accept my humanness. I mean, that's all there is to it. The fact that we make mistakes, the fact that we make, uh, that others make mistakes, and the fact that we can make the same mistake multiple times over and over again, like, yeah, that, that gives us cause and pisses us off a little bit, particularly when we have faith in Jesus and we go, hey, Jesus, can, can, can I just stop doing that? And then we hope for this magic pill from Jesus. And he gives us the magic pill, then we stop making mistakes. That's the Jesus I don't want us to pay attention to anymore. I want us to pay attention to human Jesus. I want you to start under understanding and start allowing, uh, to have an allowance of love for humanity. Like, really take in the human, man. Pinch yourself and know you're awake. Know you're here. Know you're alive. Know that your, your very presence in the lives of others brings joy. Now, maybe there's other people that will bring sorrow, but, but I'm just saying, like, we, we need to get in that zone, man. We need to get in that zone, and, and we're going to do that through seeing Jesus' humanity, not just his risenness, right? Not just his risenness, because again, I know a lot of people like, like forgiveness, for example, will call me, and they'll be like, hey, how do I forgive? And I'll be like, well, that's, that's on you, man. It's not, there's no magic Rubik's Cube number thing, situation methodology, we can do it. And then they'll pray, and they'll say, but I've been praying to God to help me forgive. And I'm like, don't forget, God is always asking us the questions, can you forgive? So you have to be an allowance of that, which is why I'm like, you have to be an allowance of your humanity, which is why I hope you fall in love with it today, which is why I hope you fall in love with it, which is why I hope you already are in, in love with it at some causes. So it, this puts us in a position to look outside of ourselves. When we don't like what's happening in us, when we don't like us as human, when we don't like that human thing, the fact that we feel pain or sadness, the fact that there's pain in the world, the fact that humanity can be at times a pain in the ass. We start looking outside of ourselves for relief and we numb ourselves, right? This is what the internet is. It's nothing but a big, huge pipe of numb. You, you want to get away from being human? Get on the internet. Get on the internet. It'll, it, it'll numb you in any capacity you want from, from sex to a political argument. You, you, can, you can have it all. And numb yourself away. Addictions, bad relationships, bad decision making. Geographical cures is another way that we try to escape our humanness. You name it, we find it. If it can take us away from being human, we do it. So you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you do know what I'm talking about. It's, 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 that, it's that five o'clock wine. It's the blue light goes on. Let's forget about the day. Right? It's the I'm going to go exercise until my abs are sticking outside of my skin. It's, I'm going to get on Instagram and throw up a persona that makes me perfect. I'm going to go on Facebook and show everybody my Hawaii pictures and make sure that you know I'm happy in Hawaii, even though I can't pay the hotel bill. I hear you. I got you. So what I want to do and what I do as a spiritual director is really give you pictures 
right? Give you pictures and snapshots and, and, and help you see your own humanity in, in the flow with God, right? As a spiritual director, like, I really take this as a huge responsibility. Like, I'm really looking out and listening for you as we talk. And as we talk, man, I want to engage you and sit you into the flow of God, right? But most of us are like, hey, I'm going to pray for things like God doesn't know what we need. God, the rent's coming. Can you help me with that? So for me, it's about putting you into the flow, right? And into the flow means you as human in the flow. Because at the end of the day, God didn't make us. He did. Like we can argue it. Like if you don't believe that, we can argue it offline. But for for this conversation, he made us. He loves us. He didn't make us because he wanted a pain in the ass in his life. Hey, Jesus, hey, Holy Spirit, I'm going to make these things called human, and I'm really hoping they, they F it up, screw it up so badly that bad stuff will happen here, and then some more bad stuff will happen here. And then, Jesus, get this, I'll send you down, and we'll murder you to make it all right. <laughs> I mean, do you not hear that? I mean, come on, right? That's not the story. The story starts in Genesis 1. You've heard me say it before. He loves you, he's into you, he created you, it's all good. In fact, when in the story of Genesis, in this beautiful, beautiful story and in, in, in metaphor of, the, of Genesis, like he clothes Adam and Eve. Here, you, you gotta leave the garden, but I'm clothing you. What's that metaphor for, man? What is that for? What is that story saying? It's saying he cares for humans, clothing them in the, and the love of God, Father, and the essence of Christ, the risenness of Savior, right? Awesome. All right, so we don't have to go too far in that. So I want to give you, but, but that's me as spiritual director. Like a spiritual shrink, man, I'm really looking back at you going, hey, I want you to capture something, and I want you to be in flow with it, right? I want you to be in day-to-day with it. So I'm going to give you a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is next to the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, and it was a place where Jesus went to pray. Picture, like, you know, if, if we do, like, movie scene, like, picture this, like, moon overhead, partly cloudy, 75 degrees with a light wind, the rustling of birds sleeping in the leaves, the wind shuddering the leaves. We can hear that, you know, we can hear, I'm trying to do sound effects, I'm sorry. You know, and what I want you to picture is a, is, is a night where Jesus is going to go pray with a couple of his, a trio of his disciples. We get preoccupied with Jesus as a guy who's just a raiser of the dead or a turner of water into winer. We need to focus on his humanity. And in the garden scene in Matthew 26, so the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament. Basically, if you take the Bible and split it in half, you're going to find what's called the New Testament. There's 66 books in the Bible, right? It's, it's all a bunch of authors coming together, vibing on the essence of God. You've really got to lock down on some history and some language to really get it. <laughs> you read it through once, it could screw you up. <laughs> But when we get in here, we get the stories of Jesus. And there is, this is such a great story that I'm going I'm I'm to read you. And don't forget, we only got 30 minutes. So we got 15 minutes more. Um, so so, the, other, so the, the example that I want you to, to, to know as I get into the story and what we've made Jesus today, like, like we've done an incredible job at making Jesus just the razor of debtor. Like he's some kind of like, you know, mythical, mythical, like walking around the planet. Like when we meet him, like you go, oh my gosh, 
that must be Jesus. Like, we've done such a, a, an unbelievable job at Disney-fying Jesus. We really have. We've Disney-fied Jesus. And there's, there's, there's a really dumb example of this. Like, the, the biggest level of dumbness in the portrayal of Jesus came in 1977 with a film called Jesus of Nazareth. If some of you have seen this, you know exactly where I'm going. But no better, crazy, like, hey, let's build a construct of Jesus that we don't need to pay attention to came in Jesus of Nazareth in 1970. And no offense to the filmmakers, no offense to the actors, no offense to the screenwriters. Listen, man, you did your gig. You were portraying Jesus, but holy crap, did it get off the rails. So this, I'm going to read you a portion from IMDb which is like the movie database, the industry standard for all things movies, acting, films, directing, the whole nine yards. So this is, I've literally ripped it from the internet. It says, the eye makeup for Robert Powell, who played Jesus. Okay, so Rob, Robert Powell played Christ in this 1977 film, Jesus of Nazareth. The eye makeup consisted of a thin line of dark blue eyeliner on the upper lid of the eye and a thin line of white eyeliner on the lower lid. This had the effect of highlighting the piercing blue of his eyes <laughs> because, because Jesus had blue eyes, thus giving him a penetrating stare when combined with very little blinking because the director and Robert Powell had decided that when he was portraying Jesus in scene, he wouldn't blink. <laughs> when combined with very little blinking made the character appeal appear surreal and supernatural. Okay, so we get the supernatural part, but my point is, is that this Jesus that was walking around 2,000 years ago in the part of the world that he walked around in wasn't staring all the time and didn't have blue eyes. <laughs> he was a human being. Historically, there really was a guy named Jesus, and he really did walk around, and he really did teach cool stuff. Like, historically, we can't argue there. The craziness becomes on the... Supernatural was he the son of God's side. Today I want to focus on what a wonderful human being he was and how he felt. Okay, so this country has done its best to Disneyfy Jesus. We have lost touch of his humanity, instead preferring to strip his humanity away, thus creating an image of perfection that we simply will never touch. Let me say it again. We've done our very damn best at losing touch of Jesus' humanity, instead preferring to strip it away, thus creating an image of perfection that, will simply, that we will simply never touch as a human being. Now, that's not to say, because I hear people right now going, well, but he was perfect, but he was perfect. Listen, we, we, yeah, we can do that all day long. We can do that all day long, but we still have to touch humanity, man. We still have to understand that he was human. We still have to understand that he emoted because it's going to help us take the burden, this big, fat, spiritual burden off of us that, that literally sits over, particularly evangelical American Christians. And there is so much stuff and burden that sits over the top of us because of process and methodology. And if we don't do this and we don't do that and it's do good, good, good and come forward. And once you raise your hand and then you say yes and no and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you start feeling like shit because you're shamed and you're guilted into blah, 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 blah. I mean, we could do that all day long. We could do that all day long. I used to, 
but I don't do that anymore. Instead, I prefer to really look inside me and have the wonderful example that we've been given in this planet uh, by this cool dude, Jesus. He was human. Now, in the Old Testament, so again, if you split the Bible in half, one side's the old, one side's the new, the left-hand side would be the Old Testament. There's a book of there's a book called Isaiah, Prophet. In the 53rd chapter, Isaiah explains a little about Jesus. Jesus would not have had any external features or beauty that would attract or draw people to him. Isaiah adds that Jesus would grow up like a plant out of dry ground with no form of kingly majesty. In short, Jesus looked like an average person with no distinguishing characteristics. The crowds that followed him, Jesus didn't, they didn't follow him because he looked like a rock star or a model or he had a great Instagram account. And so they followed him because of his words, his teachings, his doctrine. Oh, and by the way, he just happened to be making food every now and then. <laughs> Jesus' teachings were not like the leaders of his time. And rather, he spoke, with, he, he spoke with great authority. I mean, this was a guy that when he talked, it was just like, hey, I dig that because it sounds like truth. Because I'm resonating with it. Because I'm human. <laughs> because I'm human. Because he's touching humanity. He's touching your humanness. He didn't line people up on the side of a hill and go, okay, you sons of bitches, listen to this. If you're not doing this, this, that, and the other thing, one, two, three, uh, then you're screwed. <laughs> but we pay attention to that for some reason. And it's never that. It's not there. You read the scriptures, you're not going to find that guy. The other thing about Jesus we have to understand is like even when Judas, there's a guy, Judas, who betrayed him. One of, one of, his, one of his very close friends betrayed him. And so Judas was like, he told the people, hey, this is how you're going to know him. I'm going to kiss the guy. When we come to find him, I'm going to kiss him. That's how you're going to know him. So it's not like, again, it's not like Jesus was out there like with this, like, like you know, halo over his head and the blue eyes and steer, steer you know, the steely stare. And that's how you're going to know him because he's going to be the one guy in the crowd that like looks like he's like supernatural nuts. No, 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 no. He's going to look very ordinary. He was a regular guy. He wasn't recognized. But boy, did he have an emotional base. Again, I'm not trying to take away Jesus' divinity. I'm not doing that. I'm helping us into a, a calmer sense of who we are because of who he was. <clears throat> the stories of Jesus in the gospel do such a great job at allowing us to get on top of his humanity. The one story that we're going to return to right now is Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I'm going to read it. Then Jesus went with them to the Garden called Gethsemane. This is after the Last Supper. Most of us are familiar with the Last Supper. Jesus gathers all his folks, all his buds. Y'all, let's go have supper. I'm going to tell you how it's going to go down. And they had a great, they had a great meal. If you want to know more, go, to, go backwards. Matthew 25. Then Jesus went to the garden. He went to a garden. This is where he liked to pray. And he told his disciples, he told the people that he came with, hey, stay here a while. I'm going to go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Listen to it. So he left a bunch of them in one place and then took three of them a little farther. And then he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Have you ever been in an agonizing sorrow? Seriously, think about it. Have you ever, were you ever so sorrowful that it was just agonizing, agonizing pain, trepidation, worry? I mean, just pain. Maybe the ripping of a relationship. Maybe somebody died. Maybe a dream unfulfilled. He did. He did. Then he said, 
This sorrow is crushing my life out. By the way, I'm reading from the message. The transition is the message. Then he said, Jesus said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. I've had a few of those. I've had a few of those, man. I mean, if you know my story, you know, oh my gosh. There's a few people that have died in my life that uh, I, I was so close to in the death that I didn't think I would emerge. I just didn't think I'd come back. Jesus says, stay here and keep vigil with me. So here's a guy, right? Here's a buddy. He's with his three friends at this point, And he just said, yo, this sorrow is crushing my life out. And he says, can you stay here and t- keep vigil with me? In other words, stay close to me, right? You've had that experience where you've turned to friends and gone, hey, I'm in need. Right? I have. I know you have. Going a little ahead. So he's going farther in to the garden. He's walking farther in to his sorrow. He's walking farther into who he is and what's really going on inside of us. He's really tapping farther into his humanity. He fell on his face praying, my father, if there is any way to get me out of this, because he knows he's about to go to death after this garden scene. After this garden scene, they're going to snatch him up and they're going to take him and they're going to crucify him. One of the most bloody, horrible things that humanity has, has come to do to humans since we've been on this planet is crucifixion. And he knows it. He says, my father, if there's any way to get me out of this, then he says, but please, it's not what I want. You, I'll do what you want. That's big. That's big. Him understanding the sorrow, him having this fear. Jesus is human, fearful, sorrowful. The guy that doesn't blink with the blue eyes is like you. He's like you. He has a true human base of emotions. When he came back to his disciples, so he, he turns around at some point, he comes back looking for his friends. He found them asleep. The people that he's asking for help, stay with me. I need your presence. They're crashed out. And he said to Peter, can't you stick it out with me for a single hour? And I would imagine when he says that, he's a little pissed pissed. He's a little angry. Wait, the steely-eyed, blue-eyed, beautiful guy, the white dude on the pictures on the wall, he's he's pissed a little bit. Stay alert, he says. Be in prayer so you don't wander into your own temptation without even knowing you're in danger. So imagine that, I mean, imagine all the emotions going on here. The sorrow, the fear, the crushing of the sorrow, and then turning around, and now he's a little pissed. What's, hey, I need you. He goes on to say, there is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there's another part of you that's as lazy as an old dog, an old dog <laughs> sleeping by the fire. I mean, come on, that's Jesus saying that stuff. He's human. How many times, man, have you turned to a friend when you've needed them and maybe somebody's let you down and you just kind of gun them a little bit because you're just disappointed. You're scared. You're afraid. You just need some touch, some love. You need some touch. You need some love, just like Jesus. He left them for the second time and again he went and prayed. My father, if there is no other way than this, Like he's still in that mode. Is there there any other way? Drinking this cup to the dregs, 
I'm ready. I'll do it your way. So now he's kind of reaffirming as he's coming to understand that he's about to do something so incredibly loving. His, his sacrifice will become the essence of risenness in all of us. Not just a bloody death, man, and we need to get off that. And not just because we need an example of what bloody sacrifice looks like so we can also go out and bloody sacrifice ourselves. No. He's coming, he's coming to terms with the love and the engagement of what he's about to do for us in, in risenness so we could have a new life, a new center, so we could love ourselves and our humanity in 2018 while hell's breaking loose around us. Well, so it seems if you read the Drudge Report. And when he came back, he again found them asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. They were tired, man. They were human too. They couldn't do it. (laughs) Even their best friend, they couldn't do it. I cannot tell you how many times I myself have let down people. Have you ever let down anybody? Of course you have. Human. This time he let them sleep on. And he went back a third time to pray. Imagine that third time, man. Sees those dudes laying sleeping, and then again he turns, and he goes back to pray. But isn't it funny that in his sorrow, in his fear, and in his anger, he turns back to the source of that energy. He turns back to love. He turns back to love. Man, how I wish we all could get this today. That when we're in those spots of high emotionality as humans, that we don't just simply turn to our friends. I really do hope we do, obviously, our family and our friends. But I also, bigger movement than that would also be to turn back to Godfather, to turn back to that, that wonderful source of love and be able to allow him in, to invite him in to our feelings, into our lives, go deeper into the garden. When he came back the next time, he said, are you going to sleep on and make it a night. Are you going to make a night of it? My time is up. The son of man, referring to himself, referring to the power of who he is, referring to the deity, the divine that he is, is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners, right? And sinners are people without the essence of God, right? Without that look and understanding and love of God. He says, get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. And then, of course, the end of the story is he walks out of the garden. The Romans snatch him up, and then they beat him senseless and then crucify him. A couple of things before we go. Jesus was human like you. He felt, he emoted, he, want, he wondered, and he wandered, and he questioned, and he deeply needed and wanted love. Just like you. And he taught and he wanted love to be the play of the day. So in 2018, he still wants love to be the play of the day. But he wants us to do that wrapped around our humanity. Not wrapped around some crazy-ass notion of some non-blinking, blue-eyed, mythical, supernatural dude that floats when he walks. He takes you into the garden. He takes you into your humanity. And he goes deeper and deeper. And he's looking at you going, go deeper into the garden with me. Don't sleep. Go deeper today. 
Learn to touch your humanity. Learn to love your humanity. And don't fall into the temptation of not going deeper into your humanity. Don't fall into the temptation of making your shit look perfect. Of sounding great. Don't fall into the temptation of not being vulnerable and authentic and sometimes wild and stupid and crazy and, and all the things that humanity are. Because the deeper you touch who you are, the deeper you touch Christ. The larger your scope of risenness is in your own life. In other words, the excitement of your life becomes hope filled with joy, filled with happiness. That's the expression of that night. So don't, don't be afraid, man. If you've got to talk about your stuff, talk about your stuff. My number one rule, man, in doing what I do is you got to talk about your stuff. That's you going deeper into the garden. If you've got things that are buried because of the silence because silence seems like it's going to be the appropriate method for keeping secrets. If you've got stuff in there, like, you got to get in there and talk about it. you got to reach in and grab your humanity. Jesus wants your humanity free. He wants it with an expression of grace and love. He wants you excited about 2018 and your life in it right now. He doesn't want us gathering around the political altar, like, going, holy shit, what's coming? He doesn't, none of that garbage, man. I mean, yeah, man, I'm going to tell you, I mean, if you're specific to that cause and you're moving spiritually in those movements, like, fantastic. I don't want to take that away from anybody, but what I'm saying is he doesn't want us gathered around our sleeping. He doesn't want us to miss the essence of our humanness. He doesn't want to miss the essence of turning to God, to, to, to the allowance of what God wants for us. And it's not like God wants, like, a hundred things, man. He wants you to enjoy. He wants you to love yourself. He wants you to love him. He wants, he wants you to have the allowance of love from him. He wants us in community with one another, doing this, what we're doing right now, contemplating and understanding a deeper journey with the divine. The second of the couple things, he's also divine. He's also divine. Like, this thought and these thoughts 2,000 years later don't just simply make him some cool freaking philosophical cool teacher guy. Yes, he was some cool philosophical teacher guy. Yes. But the divinity or the curiosity that sits inside of you to learn more, to chase him, to learn to love, to learn to love him, to learn to love yourself, man, has got the divine written all over it. So learn to trust that. Learn to trust your curiosity. Learn to trust that voice that sits inside you that says learn more, go more, love more. Good people, it's 34 minutes and I love you. And I so appreciate you coming. If you need me, I'm JR, JRMan.com, J-R-M-A-H-O-N.com, at, it's JR at JRMan.com. The numbers are on the website. Uh, I would be elated to be your spiritual director. I would be elated to help you take the guesswork out of God. It is my life's work. I pray for your life's work. Let me know that you're out there. We will talk next week.